0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Hebrews, the second chapter, beginning in the fifth verse. So let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's Word as it's found in Hebrews, chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. Yet you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God has left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He said, I will declare my name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity And he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And may the Lord bless the preaching and the reading of his word to each of our hearts. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your word, which is truth, and who has called us to engage in the study of that word, We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would sweeten this word in our hearts and in our minds, that together we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made, that we might more enjoy the calling that you have given to us, and that we might honor you more along the path of life. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, your Son and our Savior, who together with you and the Holy Spirit reigns as one God forever and ever. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, I think I have preached here enough times that you know I'm a pretty positive person. Uh, but I have to admit, there are times when I, I get a bit soul-weary, uh, world-weary, I, I get a bit disheartened. I don't know, I guess maybe the news has a lot to do with that. Do you at times just grow weary with what you see in the world? It can be disheartening to think too much about the world that we live in, about the church that we live in, about our own lives. Now we read in our in our uh, responsive reading one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 8. A a psalm that's quoted in our scripture reading this morning. And uh, Psalm 8 is a beautiful poem. I've preached on it before. Uh, There's a lot that we could say about it. It's a psalm that does two things. Uh, It celebrates the glory of the divine creator. We also sang How Great Thou Art. Uh, You have a homework assignment. If you have access to the internet and uh, YouTube, uh, sometime today, look for How Great Thou Art Two versions, Uh, one sung by, what's her name? No, older, Sandy Patty. Listen to the one sung by Sandy Patty. That's a warm-up. And then listen to the one sung by the Brooklyn Tabernacle Mass Choir. Those two versions of how great thou art will get you in touch with the glory of the Creator. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But Psalm 8 also talks about the glory of the human creature. We're going to say more about that in the sermon briefly. As I say, I've already preached some time ago on that. But in spite of the fact that Psalm 8 is such a positive hymn of praise to God for his own glory and for our glory and honor, Psalm 8 can be troubling. It can be troubling like Psalm 1 is troubling. Psalm 1 is a beautiful psalm and right in the center of that psalm is this promise. Whatever you do succeeds, not so the wicked. That's really encouraging. And it's also troublesome when you begin to think too much about what that psalm promises and then what you see in your own life. Uh, Jeremiah had that problem. Jeremiah had read uh, Psalm 1, and Jeremiah thought too much about that psalm and his world. And in Jeremiah 12, he basically said, God, I've got a bone to pick with you. And then he says, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Psalm 1 says it's not supposed to be that way. Uh, It's an irony that sometimes some of the texts that are the most positive and encouraging, if we think too much about them in our world, they can be an occasion for being weary, being disheartened, um, because we don't always have the answers. Well, the scripture reading from this morning is in touch with this troublesome dimension in Psalm 8, as it quotes Psalm 8, but it also points us to the resolution, and it gives us hope. So I have four points this morning. I know that's not very Presbyterian, we're supposed to have three, but I've got four points. And this is kind of an odd sermon, because my text is both Psalm 8 and Hebrews 2, and we've read them both in worship this morning. I want to just remind you of two things from Psalm 8, and then point you to two things in Hebrews chapter 2. So first of all, from Psalm 8, two things. Uh, As I've mentioned, Psalm 8 paints a beautiful picture of humanity. We're leaving aside this morning that beautiful picture of deity. Just a couple of things about this beautiful portrait of humanity. Much more could be said. I just want to draw your attention to two things. Crowned with glory and honor. Soulmate is really speaking about humanity being created in the image of God, as we confessed in the Nicene Creed this morning. Crowned. Who wears a crown? Royalty. Kings. Kings. Queens, princes, princesses. So as soon as the text says crowned, it's telling you something of who you are. You are royal. You're kings, you're queens, you're princes, you're princesses. Uh, Crowned is a royal image. And glory and honor, if we had the time, we could just do a little search in the book of Psalms and elsewhere in the Old Testament for that pair of words. Glory and honor when they're used together. And when they're used together, the context is always royalty. Glory and honor are a pair that is used to describe God as the divine king. But glory and honor is also a pair that's used to describe David as a human king. Glory and honor like crowned, point you to your royal status. I was listening to some uh, Bill Gaither music, and there's a song that I like on there, except one line. It talks about us as being worms. My dad never liked what he called worm theology. Oh, David does say, I am a worm and not a man, right? But in context, what David is saying is, he's saying, my life is so full of degradation right now. That I can't think of myself as a human being but only as a worm. That's not the way it's supposed to be. In 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 the core of our being, we're not worms. We're crowned with glory and honor. And there's another thing Psalm 8 says. It says everything under their feet. A rather odd image. But not once we understand it in its ancient context. Uh, There was a time when, during the conquest, some enemies of Israel were conquered, and uh, the leader told the other uh, sub-leaders to take their foot and put their foot on the neck of the defeated king who was lying on the ground. Very common ancient uh, symbol. Uh, I forget the details, but I think it's something like that when the Japanese surrendered It just popped into my mind, but um, the emperor of Japan, when he signed the surrender papers, he was either facing away from the rising sun or toward the rising sun, but it was well calculated to let him know, remember the rising sun is the Japanese sun, it was well calculated to let him know, symbolically, that he was defeated. And that's what the, the foot on the neck means and so when God says these put everything under the feet of humanity it's a way of what the Bible's talking about in Genesis 1 when it says that you have been created in the image of God so that you might have dominion and rule over the earth now in our day and age that sounds like a rather oppressive and abusive image from the Bible But there's another corresponding image, and if we were like doing PowerPoint, I would show you some of these ancient images this morning. Some beautiful iconography from the ancient world of a king. A king standing beside a deer, and the deer is lying on the ground, and the king has its foot on the deer. Oh, See, all things under your feet. That sounds rather oppressive, right? Until you see the rest of the picture. Because the king has a sword in his hand, and to the left of the king, in all of these images, is a lion that is up on its hind paws. And what's the lion about to do? The lion is about to have lunch with the deer. But the foot of the king on the deer with a sword drawn is a picture of the king's dominion, but it's a dominion that requires him to protect those who are under his dominion. Beautiful picture, right? Beautiful balance. A picture of human dominion that says, yes, we have authority over, and that authority over entails care for. How beautiful is the balance in the Bible? And so We could say many other things, but just to remind you and to give you a glimpse of how Psalm 8 paints a beautiful picture of humanity. But Psalm 8 also creates dissonance in us. That that discord we feel when something's not quite right. A dissonance with regard to humanity. If we think too much, we begin to say... Well, where is this royal glory? Where is it in the world? Where is this treating of other human beings as worthy because they're created in the image of a glorious God? Where is it when there is a mass killing at a school, at a nightclub, when somebody straps a bomb on Himself and detonates it in a crowd at a concert. When people are beheaded, when there is a drive by killing of innocent children who just happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. See, if we think too much about it, we just have to say, when we look at our world, where is this royal glory? And of course, if we've been in the church long enough, we don't have to go outside the church to ask the same question. Over your own histories, how many of you have seen and experienced things in the context of the church that just make you scratch your head and say, how can Christians treat each other that way? Madeline Murray O'Hare. Probably not somebody quoted from this platform very often. She said, one thing that is true, even if hyperbolic, the church is the only organization that shoots its own. Have you been part of that at some time in your past? I know I have. In fact, part of the reason why I'm living here in Florida is because of being shot at too much elsewhere. Or think of our own lives. I mentioned I was, uh, I was listening to the Gaither vocal band on the way down. And you know how sometimes, for, un, for reasons you just don't understand, a song just opens up this well of emotion. So I'm driving down 95 weeping because they started to sing this song, Blow Down the Chariots and Let Me Ride. It's a song that I can picture where I was the last time I heard it about four years ago in the parking lot at RTS when my father was passing away. Just praying to God that the chariots would come down and let him ride. I, I, re- I remember my dad. Two, two distinct pictures. My dad was a very strong man. I mean, he was physically strong. He had big biceps. And when it came time to lifting lumber and moving stuff, it was like he could move anything. But he was not only strong physically, he was strong morally. Uh, I remember one time, and this is the way he did his business, I remember one time somebody came into my dad's business, he was a cabinet maker, and the contractor said to my dad, if I pay you in cash, how much will you discount the job? And of course, my dad knew what he was saying and offering, and my dad said, pay me any way you want, my price is my price. And um, what was it? I just saw this somewhere. I forget whether it was on TV or something, but somebody struck a deal by shaking hands. That's all my dad did. He'd give you his price, and he would shake your hand. And if he misbid, and he was going to lose money, He lost money because his word was his bond. When he said, this is the way it is, that's the way it is. Uh, he He was strong physically, and he was strong morally. He was strong emotionally. He was just a rock. He was strong spiritually. That's a beautiful picture that I have of my father. And then I have a picture of my father in his declining years. And when he was still... More cognizant, I have. I can hear him saying, "Mark, these golden years aren't really quite so golden." He couldn't see anymore. He could still remember us for the most part. He couldn't carry on a conversation. What what really happened this morning driving down? Four years it took, but I really got in touch with how hard those. Days and months and years were on me. I had a real hard time connecting with my dad because there was such dissonance between this dad and this dad. It, it was hard for me to go visit him, it, it was hard for me to carry on a conversation with him. It's like I, I didn't even know it. You see, I was looking face to face. At the problem raised by Psalm 8, when it says, crowned with glory and honor. And I just said, where is that glory? Where is that honor? See, Psalm 8, when we think about it too much, makes us ask, where is this caring dominion for people? One of the, probably the biggest thing that baffles me about life, in all honesty is just how human beings can treat each other. I don't care who they are. I don't care what race they come from. I don't care how wealthy they are, how poor they are, what their religious background is. Just flat out across the board, humans as humans, it just baffles me as to how we can treat each other. When Psalm 8 says that we're to be toward each other like that king with its foot on the lamb and its sword in the hand to protect each other. And you think about how how humans, an example, fathers who are supposed to protect their daughters and who at times have just done the most unspeakable things. Crown with glory and honor. Dominion under our feet? See, the irony is, sometimes these psalms, with their beauty, when we think about them too much, they begin to say, is that really true? Well, so much for Psalm 8. Let's look at our text just a bit in Psalm 2. Well, to start off, Psalm 2 echoes the dissonance of Psalm 8. It doesn't just jump in with an easy solution. Uh, Look at how it affirms the glory. Uh, Starting in verse 5, it is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone who has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Mere individual humans that you care for them. You see, it starts with that question, what is humanity? And it affirms, you made humanity a little lower than the angels. You crowned humanity with glory and honor. You put everything under the feet of humanity. So you see, in, in, in its beginning of quoting Psalm 8, uh, Hebrews chapter 2 affirms that you have been crowned with glory and honor, that God has put everything under your feet. But then Hebrews 2 does something explicitly that Psalm 8 only leaves implicit. It makes it crystal clear because Hebrews 2 articulates the dissonance that is just under the surface in Psalm 8. Notice it goes on to say, in putting everything under them, God has left nothing that is not subject to them. Here it is. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. The author of Hebrews is saying, I read this beautiful picture, and then I watch my news. Of course, whatever that meant in the first century, we won't worry about. He looked at the world around him, and he simply says, at present, I've got to be honest with you. I just don't see it. I read the glorious description, I look at my world, and I just, at present, in the moment, I just don't see this glory and honor, this royal dominion. At present, we do not see everything subject to them. So Hebrews 2 echoes the dissonance, it makes explicit that dissonance, and yet the text doesn't stop there. It does point us to the resolution. Notice what it says. At present, we do not see, but we do see. At present, we do not see everything subject to humanity, but we do see Jesus. Jesus. The text tells us to lift our eyes and to look above the fray and to see Jesus. Now, I'm only speaking for myself. I'm not speaking for you. I've never seen him. I mean, not like with, you know, light going through my retina and all of that stuff in the brain. I haven't seen him physically, but I have seen him by faith. Not by sight, But by faith, we see Jesus. And what Jesus do we see? We see the Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor. We might not see that glory of honor in our day-to-day experience all the time, but by faith, we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. By faith, we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. Why so? Because he suffered death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. You see, we see a Jesus who was, hard to say, greater than my dad. I remember a time, I I was little. I don't know, I was like maybe in kindergarten, so my mother was probably... She was hardly, she wasn't in her mid-30s yet. They were singing in church. And I heard for some reason her voice crack. And oh, it all devastated me. I thought immediately, oh no, my mother is old and about to die. That, I'm just telling you what I thought. That, that, that frailty. Um, I, I, you know what I think of my father... My father doesn't compare to Jesus in terms of strength of moral character. Jesus was tempted in every way, just like you and I are, but he never sinned. If there was ever anyone who did not deserve to be abused, to be mistreated, to suffer injustice, it was Jesus. But Jesus was willing to undergo all of that. And more poignant, more powerful, more terrifying than what he suffered at the hands of human beings is what he suffered at the hand of his own father. Because he bore his father's wrath the wrath for you, the wrath for me, the wrath for the nations. He bore that wrath, a degradation of his humanity going to a deeper depth than we'll ever go to. And why did he do it? So that he might taste death for everyone. So that there might be hope that that glory and honor spoken of and described and promised in in Psalm 8 might come into reality into the lives of real human beings like you and like me. You see, through his death and his resurrection, Jesus becomes the head of a new humanity. There's this guy named Adam who was the head of the original humanity. And through that one man's disobedience, sin and misery has come into the world. But now through the obedience of this second man, this second head of a new human race, through his obedience, life and glory and honor and dominion has entered the world again. And notice, I I just want to point out one more thing about this text, the beginning of verse 10, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. See, you've been crowned with glory and honor. Yet at present, we don't see it. But we do see Jesus crowned with glory and honor Because he suffered death so that he might taste that death for everyone. And why did he do it? That he might bring many sons and daughters to that glory and that honor. That godly royal dominion. This is your hope. I I, I know there's a powerful temptation to look to political leaders. If only we had the right political leaders, then the world would be the way it should be. The problem is those political leaders themselves are part of the problem because they're what? It starts with H-U-M-A-N. They're human. They are not your messiahs. Now, I, I, I do think having good leaders is better than having bad leaders which is why Paul tells us to pray for our leadership. Oh, but we have to keep it in perspective. They are not our Messiah. They are not our hope. Jesus is our hope because Jesus suffered death, that he might taste that death for everyone so that he might bring many sons and daughters to glory. Let me conclude just by going to another text. And that text is also in the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter, therefore. Now, it's really a conclusion to what was going on in, Genesis, uh, in, uh, in uh, Hebrews 11, but it's a good therefore for the sermon. In conclusion, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything uh, that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance in spite of the fact that you don't see this glory and honor, this royal dominion at present every time you turn the news on, in spite of all of that, let's run with perseverance, brothers and sisters. Let's run the race marked out for us. And how do we do that? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for uh, the marvel of Your Word. Uh, We thank You for your word in that ancient, ancient book of Psalms uh, and your word in that ancient book of Hebrews too, and and how they paint such a beautiful picture and yet they can at the same time be so discouraging and yet how they ultimately do what all of the scriptures are intended to do and that is lift our eyes to Jesus. So as you've told us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, would you just increase our faith because we have taken the time just a few minutes out of this day to reflect on your word. Increase our love and our appreciation for who Jesus is and for what he has done for us not only in the present life but also in the life to come so that we will not grow weary in well-doing so that we will not lose heart, so that we will persevere until we make it all the way home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.